I want to talk today about a wedding. There's a wedding in chapter 2. Did you know that? There's a wedding in chapter 2. We're going to talk about that. Uh, think right now, if you would, at the last wedding you attended. Now, my guess is, ladies, you went because you wanted to, and guys, you went because you were made to, okay? But uh, think of the last wedding you went to, all right? And, um, and think about... Um, the wonder and the love and the anticipation and the joy uh, that the bride and groom and their family uh, experience. The bride and groom on those days become a family, a new family. Um, now, look at 128 just for a minute. Just kind of stare at 128. You heard it. 126 and 128 are really foundational to our understanding of what we're going to do in the next couple of weeks. But in, in 128... Um, that collective creation that God has made, um, uh, God commands humankind to be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. Now, we're going to back up a little bit this week from the creation of man and look at the detail of it. But by all indications, people have accepted that challenge to fill the earth. Now, here's some numbers. After topping one billion, so, so world population topped one billion sometime in the early 1800s. This is astounding to me. One billion in the early 1800s, okay? Um, and uh, that population number has risen seven times in the ensuing 200 years or so. Wow. Um, according to 2015 United Nations official projections, the world population will grow to 8.5 billion in 2030 and 9.7 billion in 2050. So we're growing kind of exponentially, um, uh, kind of season after year after year. Now, I got to thinking this week, if God had so chosen, he could have populated the earth just by saying, okay, there, there we are. He could have created population. He didn't do that. Uh, according to the biblical account, um, from the start. But his mode of operation is to use you and me, to use human beings to partner in his plans to populate this planet. So in remote antiquity, God created a man, and we're going to talk today about his creation of a woman. The result was a family to get those plans going. Now, it's interesting, if you study ancient um, uh, Near Eastern mythology, those stories, You'll, you'll read sometimes that uh, humans were created in those stories largely to do work that the gods didn't want to do themselves. Okay, now remember, I said this is mythology. This is, this is uh, ancient Near Eastern mythology. In this scenario, um, human population growth was desirable for a time, but eventually the multitudes of people became a nuisance to those old gods. And uh, they grew frustrated and found ways to reduce human population growth. Now, isn't it interesting that that's how the ancients described the number of people around and the loss of certain groups of people. But the Genesis account that you and I have been studying contrasts sharply with that picture. Uh, in the first chapter that we've studied, God gave function and order and meaning to his creation. Um, he consistently said, this is good. And so the pinnacle of that creation, we said last week, was you, uh, his creation of humankind. And he steps back and says, I've created 
mankind in my image, and I give them, um, as he created the animal kingdom, I give you dominion over that. Though all life on earth is valuable, human life, the Bible pre pre presents as being sacred above all because of God's stamp, God's image within us. So, human population growth was never a problem. It was actually a command. Have you heard this story about the grandfather? This sounds like a conversation I would have with Violet. Um, with my seven-year-old granddaughter. A little girl sitting on her grandfather's lap as he read her a bedtime story. From time to time, she'd take her eyes off the book and reach up and touch his wrinkled cheek. She was alternately stroking her own cheek and then his again, and finally he spoke up, Grandpa, did God make you? <laughs> yes, sweetheart, he answered. God made me a long time ago. Oh, she paused. Grandpa, did God make me too? Yes, indeed, honey, he said. God made you just a little while ago. Feeling their respective faces again, she observed, God's getting better at it, isn't he? <laughs> what we learned from a kid, right? Okay, let's get into this story now. Uh, we'll skip over the first few verses of two because we studied those last week. Steve Blair, can I get you to go to 18, verse 218, and read 18, 19, and 20. Okay, I need somebody to go a couple of places. Who would go to um, Exodus 18.4? John, thank you. And Psalm 121, verse 1 and 2. Thank you, Cindy. Okay, now, if you guys will park over there, and, and we'll, we'll kind of catch up with you in just a minute. Now, the idea here is, after seven kind of epochs of creation... Uh, God looks over his creation and proclaims things good that he has made. By the time we get to 2.18, he looks at creation and says, oh, wait a minute. This is not good. Okay? This is not good. What is it that's not good? To be alone. For man, remember we said Adam is kind of a play on the word man, and we said that word sounds a lot like what? Dirt, ground. Yeah, isn't that interesting? Good. So he has a reminder every day of his life that I'm made out of the earth. I'm made out of dirt. Um, so technically, Adam is not alone, is he? Technically, he's not alone. I mean, God's made all these animals and birds and fish, and, you know, Roger, he can go hunting and he can go fishing, right? What else does a guy need, right? But, but God looks at that and says, wait a minute, something's not right here. Uh, I, I find this kind of intriguing how it's presented. 128 that we talked about just a minute ago is not technically possible yet where humans are concerned. Adam's by himself. 
Now, one of the things I read about this week um, is this thought of man being alone. Now, there's an interesting thing that happens here. So when God describes the creation of woman in 18, he uses the word helper. Does that, is that problematic for anybody in the room? Marsha, is that problematic? Okay, uh, okay. Uh, I can figure. Gloria, I actually thought of you a couple times this week when I was putting this together. I'll go, do you? What a nice girl, okay? So, so the thought is, I think you'll like this, girls, okay? The word helper here is the same word. It's used uh, for the woman uh, um, uh, to be the man's helper. Uh, I need to make a helper for you. If you notice, he says, I will make, and I love this phrase, a helper, a helper suitable. We're going to kind of drill down on that a little bit. Uh, a helper suitable. In the Hebrew, it's corresponding to. Um, uh, literally, the thought here is it's a complementary helper, opposite but equal. Kind of the thought, the biblical thought here. And I want to. I want you to show what I want to show what good company you girls are in when you're described as a helper to the man. Uh, let's read the couple of verses. Uh, John, Exodus 18, 4. Same word is describing God's role in your life. God is my helper. That's pretty. That's a pretty wonderful thought there. Okay, uh, so you don't think that's just isolated? There's several, um, but Psalm 121, verse one and two. Cindy. One of those beautiful, beautiful psalms, and the thought here is, my help comes from God. That's the verb version of helper here. Uh, that describes God's role to play in your life. So God says to Adam, uh, okay, I'm going to make um, some, someone else in my image to walk beside you. Uh, it actually couldn't be more beautiful if, if we, if we uh, interpret it correctly. Uh, the same word that God uses, that God's word uses to describe God's relationship with us is used to describe God's helper uh, and his relationship with man. Okay, so look at verse 19. So he brings animals to him, and I, I think this is part, um, who knows what order all this stuff is in, but I think this is part of the process, okay? So, so God brings um, He's formed all the wild animals that we discussed in, in, a couple weeks ago and the birds in the sky, and he brings them to the man, and he says, what do you want to call them? What do you, which is kind of an implication of this authority uh, the, that the man is exercising. By, by naming them, God is saying, you've got authority over them. Remember we said that's how um, man was made, and that's the, the uh, order, the creative order of things. So man is given some authority here, even to the point of saying, what do you call that? And what are you going to call that? He says, that's a lion. What are you going to call that? That's a tiger. What are you going to call that? That's a bear. Oh my. Okay, so you, you get that. All right. Man names them, and that kind of implies some authority here. It's a special act here 
that's not covered in chapter 1 when it talks about making all these animals. Um, but none of those that God parades, imagine a, you know, a, a zoo parade. In the, uh, none of those that God parades in front of Adam are created in the image of God. Mike, this will be a hard part of the lesson for Kim Pimpin, okay? Okay, I believe doggies have a soul, I really do, but they're not made in the image of God. There's a difference there, right? So as Adam, you've got to think about this process here. Uh, none of those are made in the image of God. 126 is such a critical verse for us to understand who we are. Look back at it for a second. Then God said, let us make man in our image, According to our likeness, let us rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So the idea is, as Adam views all this, there is no other that bears the stamp of the image of God, and he recognizes this. He begins to notice this. Adam's observation. This is very cool. But there's nobody else like me. Okay? you got to think of this for a minute. Adam has all of this animal companionship. And yet, don't you wonder if he said to the Lord God, because they were speaking face to face in those days, pre-sin. Don't you imagine he said to God, man, this is, this is wonderful. But why are there none like me? <laughs> imagine just kind of the grief in that question. Why are there none like me? And so God, uh, it literally, Rhonda and I have been watching him. Uh, uh, our whole family's gotten interested in this little Alabama boy who reads the grocery list on America's Funniest Home Videos. And, and uh, he continues to ask the He's taken down a list. He can't write, but he's, he's like three years old. He's taken down a list, and he keeps saying, What else? I really hear Adam saying, what else? <laughs> now, by the way, you could probably find that video by just typing in what else. It's the cutest little kid. What else? Lord, this is wonderful. I mean, we got plant life. We got plenty of stuff to eat. I got a dog to pet. But there's nobody like me. Catch that. Emptiness, as God says, there's something kind of missing here. So none in the parade of animals. Verse 20 is kind of a sad verse. None in this parade of animals is a suitable companion. Something is missing. There is no, and the, the, the wording here from verse 18, there is no suitable helper for him. No equal. And I want you to, Gloria, help me here. I want us to think about the word equal here because it, it kind of implied here. Okay. I'm just, this is my day to pick on you. Okay. Okay. This is my day to pick on you. So let's go to the next little section then. So we've gotten down through 20. Let's go to verse 21. And um, uh, Sally, can I get you to read down to 24, 21 through 24?
Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. Okay. John, can I get you to go back to Exodus since I know now that you can find it <laughs> and go to 2514. I had no doubt so you could find it, John. Because uh, we'll read that in just a minute because there's a word there that we want to catch. Now, the, this is the first, uh, I wish Francis Oakes was here today. This is the first recorded um, um, uh, observation of anesthesia, okay? All right, this is the first anesthetic used. This is a Francis... Um, learned his trade from God himself, probably, but because uh, um, um, he was the best. So the idea is that an anesthesia is used here. And um, the, the word here that I want to talk about for just a minute is the Lord takes from the man's side what is needed for his last creation project. Okay, this is last creation project. And, um, and he takes... A piece from his side. Now, it's interesting here. This word that is used, that is translated rib here in uh, verse 21, the word that is used in verse 21 and 22, rib, is used dozens of times in the Old Testament. Um, but this is the only time that it's translated rib, that it has kind of a, uh, an anatomical uh, specificity to it. Uh, John, let's just give him one illustration. Exodus 25, 14. So the, uh, that word side, the, the poles are to be put on the side of the ark. That word side is the same word used here in chapter 2 that is translated in verse 21 and 22 as rib. It's never used another time as rib, but it's used twice here. So, so the translators have chosen to kind of give it an anatomical significance. Who, know, who knows exactly what God took, but the idea is there's something that was taken from man. And, of course, you and I know there's an anatomical um, issue there. So um, the idea, he takes um, from his side something and makes a woman out of it, kind of, kind of the thought here in verse 21 and verse 22. God takes from man and makes a woman. Now, I really could argue here that he has saved the best for last. Girls, you like that? Am I, am I your friend now? He makes you in the image of God just like he did the man. The same authority as man, equally important. And it's interesting here, made, the word made is an architectural term. God made. Now look, he built. Okay, so uh, look at 417. I'm going to take you just a couple places. Look at 417. So if your Bible's like mine, it's just kind of across the page. Cain had relations with his wife and she conceived and gave birth to Enoch and he built a city. There's the word. Built, it's translated in four. Uh, look at 12.7. Okay. Uh, 12.7. 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 Uh, 12.7
Okay, so just three or four pages on to the right. 12.7, the same Hebrew word, uh, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to your descendants, I will give this land. So he built an altar. So it's kind of an architectural term. And here, it's used in other places in Scripture to denote the building of a city, the building of an altar, and the building of a brick outhouse. Okay, no, 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 no. Men, I'll let you deal with that one, okay? So it's, it, he built her. He made, uh, you're just now getting this, aren't you? Okay. Uh, so, um, it's interesting here. Um, the, the idea here that God made her out of his side. Beautiful quote. I've heard this used in weddings. And I couldn't find it where it came from until early this morning. This is actually Matthew Henry. I originally wrote this. This is so good. The, mo the woman was made of a rib out of the side of Adam, not made out of his head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected and near his heart to be beloved. Man, there couldn't be anything much more beautiful. Can I read it just one more time? The woman was made out of a rib, out of the side of Adam, not made out of his head to be ruled over him, not out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be beloved. Now, if you're here with your beloved today, look at her or him and say, ah. Okay. That's, that's, that's kind of how it goes. I've done a couple of weddings, yeah. Okay, so... So this is what happens here. God builds her. He makes her. Now, verse 23 is really interesting to me. So God makes her. Remember, Adam's been asleep. He makes her and then brings her to Adam. All right? Somebody read 23 out loud to us. He named her. And he uses a, an interesting play on words here to name her. Okay? So this is a play on words. Woman and man are kind of similar, in, uh, more so even in the original language than in our English language. But the other thing I want you to notice here, even though we kind of surmised what was going on between God and Adam before this chapter, these are the first recorded words of humans. The first, humanity's first words are right here in verse 23. What were they? In quotes? This is it. I, I literally, I mean, Gene, I thought of the words, at last. You know? Do what? Etta James. Etta James. Yeah, we should play some at last right here. Uh, okay. So the th it's kind of that that beautiful exclamation here. Um, at last, someone like me, someone who fits me, 
you've got to catch the beauty and really the intimacy of verse 23 and 24. 23 is just full of all kinds of implied meaning. God has said in verse 18, you know what? It's just not good for man to be alone. I'm going to make him a helper suitable for him. He makes her, brings her to him. Wow, at last. Catch the loneliness of verse 18 contrasted with finally of verse 23. Catch that, will you? Cindy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, think about it. Um, he completes her, she completes him. I mean, you know, it really goes both ways. But, but the idea of, um, I saw all of these animals. Think about if, if you were able to be in some kind of zoo where you could witness every animal in the kingdom, and yet none like you, and suddenly here she is, here he is at last. Kind of this beautiful, beautiful thought here. I think, I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but I think in the original Hebrew, his words were something like hubba hubba. Okay. You got to be of a certain age to understand hubba hubba, but okay. You know. All right. Okay. Whoa, man. Yeah. Okay. Uh, now, look at verse 24. So, the Bible comments on this act here in verse 24. Then God says, let the earth bring forth living creatures after their... Oops, sorry, wrong chapter. My, my, my Bible flipped. For, reason, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined with his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Uh, interesting to me that verse 24... Um, is quoted four times in the New Testament, including by Jesus. Does that sound like it might be kind of important? Genesis 2.24 is quoted in the New Testament several times. And, and part of that, at least, is by Jesus himself. The living word of God says, this is important enough for me to embed this in my message. And by the way, it comes up. And I put the reference here in Matthew 19 where Jesus is talking about, commenting on, because they've asked him about divorce. And he talks about divorce and marriage. And he uses this as the backdrop for it. Let me unpack it just a little bit for you because the biblical language is full of all kinds of meaning. Now, what we've got to think of here, the first marriage is what's being described here. And it is it occurs... At least I believe, and, and there's some debate back and forth, but it occurs, I believe, pre-sin. So the first marriage was not encumbered by sin, at least for a time. Think about that a little bit here. And therefore, it's to serve as a template for you and me and for our marriages. Um, uh, they're working, think of two people working side by side in total harmony. There are a couple of things that are implied here, okay? I, I believe this is true. That the love between a man and a wife is to, to supersede parental love. It's deeper than parental love. Now, can I say something here? 
many couples miss this in their interest in and affection for and love and concern for children, they forget to love each other once the kids are here. Um, I've had, I've had um, couples, some of which I'm very, very close to, who, um, who when the kids left the house, there was nothing really left for mom and dad to live for. They hadn't built a marriage. They just built a home for the last 18 or 20 or 25 years or whatever. And once the kids got out, there was nothing left between them. And it's tragic. Uh, I've had this happen way too closely to Rhonda and me in, in our family. And, and I realized that part of it was the marriage wasn't being built while the home was being built over the years. And that's just the wrong thing to do. Especially in second marriages, there seems to be this thought that, okay, my, my relationship with my kids supersedes my relationship with my wife. And, and there's some debate on that. But, but I think there is precedent here that your, num your number one God-given relationship, if you are married, is with your spouse. Uh, prove me wrong on that. But I think this is present for it in the first marriage here. Second, marriage is to be lasting a lifetime. Uh, the word that's used in, uh, in my little bit of research on this, the word that's used in verse 24, for the man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife. In the Old Testament, the word joined there is the word, I'm sorry, in the, in the, uh, the old King James Version, the, the word that is used there is the word cleave, to leave and cleave. The word cleave is, um, the best I can describe it, the, in the original language is, the idea of a glue, more like super glue. Have you ever been using some kind of glue like that and you don't read the packaging and you get some on your fingers? Doyle, that looks like a face that's done that before. It's like, <clears throat> you know, you got to get you some kind of solvent to get your fingers apart. The idea here is a cleaving that is permanent, never intended to be dissolved. In God's plan, no thought to separation, lifelong. So what is taught here is that, uh, that marriage is to be lifelong and monogamous. Okay? And if you finish out the chapter, or even, even the verse, the concept of one flesh is the idea that it's to be, again, lifelong, monogamous, and sexual. Um, so that that's kind of where we leave God's description of marriage from describing the first one. Ought to be a template for all the rest. Jesus uses it as a template in Matthew 19. Now, let's get, I want us just to jump up. We're going to come back to chapter 3 next week. But just look at what happens in the first two verses of chapter 4. Now, the man had relations with his wife, Eve. There's that thought of one flesh. And she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I've gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. And again, verse 2, she gave birth to his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of flocks. But Cain was a tiller of the ground. So what did they do? What did the two first boys do? A farmer and, uh, and a herder, shepherd. Yeah. Um, so you've got one 
who is a herder. You got one who's a farmer, and there's no, until later, we don't see any, any problem with that. We're not going to really see any problem with those choice of occupation. The two boys choose a common occupation. And the idea of verse 1, if you remember back to 128, is um, this is a holy function. Um, it never was intended to be anything other the, the, um, the sexual relationship of man and woman was never intended to be anything other than a holy function. Uh, I, okay, anybody reading NIV in here? Okay. Uh, Debbie, can I embarrass you? <laughs> Read verse 24 in your NIV. Yeah, uh, sorry, chapter 1, 124. I'm sorry, 224. I'll get it in a minute. 224. <laughs> Now, don't look at Debbie because she'll, her face will turn red. <laughs> 224. Why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh? Okay, now go, if you would please, to 4-1. NIV. Debbie, thank you for reading that. It uses the term made love here. The, the New American Standard uses had relations. Uh, any any uh, mystery there what's being talked about? I don't think so. Ellie, after class, I can explain this all to you. But, uh, <laughs> uh, there, there's just no, there's nothing. This is, it's beautiful. It's how God made it to be. And this, this idea of one flesh in 124. Sexual and good. And so, the thought here is that life is fleshed out in relationships. Life is fleshed out. I, I chose those two words, fleshed out, intentionally. God puts flesh and bone into relationships here. It's to be fleshed out in relationships. And as a church, we got to do all we can, I believe at least, to um, keep marriage, matrimony, holy. Isn't it interesting that when I was first doing weddings a million years ago, I would use the two words, you know, Mike and Kim have come together today in holy matrimony. I, I don't use those words anymore probably. But maybe I should. It, the church ought to do all we can to make this holy. Um, I, I think it's what God is telling us to do. Now, let me, let me just make a statement here that's based on, um, I think it's consistent with what the church would say. Um, it, it's the idea here of what is designed and how far away we occasionally get. Um, there is, there is a consummation here that's implied in this. But the Bible nowhere that I can find provides support for a supposed marriage between members of the same sex. When that happens, uh, those unions do so under human authority, not godly authority. I've just got to say that. 
You can read Romans 1 and read what Paul has to say about this. While it's right and Christian to show great love and grace to those who are dealing with that issue, with same-sex attraction, etc., the church has to continue to uphold the biblical model of marriage. If you're, you're a person who's chosen to remain single, it's a pathway that's chosen by a few, but, um, but not by many. Uh, the only biblically approved lifestyle alternative to marriage is singleness. Now, if there's somebody in your world, and there is in mine, who has chosen to go a different direction from this biblical uh, example here, the biblical template. My response, and I thought Marty did a great job with this just a couple of weeks ago, is to continue to stand on the Bible and love, love, love. So let me give you three words that have to do with your relationship with everybody but especially a relationship with that one that the Lord has given you to be your companion. Three words, you ready? This is tricky. Love, each, other. Uh, is it always the simple that's the most profound? It seems like it to me. Love, each, other. That's the command. 